sort of well, rather dark and smelling soothingly of leather, which formed the shop, there would be seen his face, or that of his elder brother, peering down. A guttural sound, and the tip-tap of bust slippers, beating the narrow wooden stairs, and he would stand before one without coat, a little bent, in leather apron, with sleeves turned back, blinking, as if awakened from some dream of boots, or like an owl, surprised in daylight, and annoyed at this interruption. And I would say, How do you do, Mr. Gessler? Could you make me a pair of Russia leather boots? Without a word he would leave me, retiring whence he came, or into the other portion of the shop, and I would continue to rest on the wooden chair, inhaling the incense of his trade. Soon he would come back holding in his thin veined hands a piece of gold-brown leather. With eyes fixed on it, he would remark, What a beautiful piece! When I too had admired it, he would speak again, When do you want them? And I would answer, Oh, as soon as you conveniently can. And he would say, Tomorrow fortnight. Or if he were his elder brother, I will ask my brother. Then I would murmur, Thank you. Good morning, Mr. Gessler. Good morning he would reply, still looking at the leather in his hand, and as I moved to the door, I would hear the tip-tap of his bast slippers, restoring him up the stairs to his dream of boots. But if it was some new kind of footgear that he had not yet made me, then indeed he would observe ceremony, divesting me of my boot and holding it long in his hand, looking at it with eyes at once critical and loving as if recalling the glow in which he had created it, and rebuking the way in which one had disorganized this masterpiece. Then, placing my foot on a piece of paper, he would two or three times tickle the outer edges with a pencil, and pass his nervous fingers over my toes, feeling himself into the heart of my requirements. I cannot forget that day on which I had occasion to say to him, Mr. Gessler, that last pair of town walking boots creaked, you know. He looked at me for a time without replying, as if expecting me to withdraw or qualify the statement, and then said, It shouldn't have creaked. It did, I'm afraid. You got them wet before they found themselves. I don't think so. At that, he lowered his eyes, as if hunting for memory of those boots, and I felt sorry I had mentioned this grave thing. Send them back, he said. I will look at them. A feeling of compassion for my creaking boots surged up in me. So well could I imagine the sorrowful long curiosity of regard which he would bend on them. Some boots, he said slowly, are bad from birth. I can do nothing with them. I take them off your bill. Once, once only. I went absent-mindedly into his shop in a pair of boots bought in an emergency at some large firm's. He took my order without showing me any leather, and I could feel his eyes penetrating the inferior integument of my foot. At last he said, Those are not my boots. The tone was not one of anger, nor of sorrow, not even of contempt but there was in it something quiet that froze the blood. He put his hand down and pressed a finger on the place where the left boot, endeavouring to be fashionable, 
was not quite comfortable. It hurts you dare, he said. Those big firms have no self-respect. Drash. And then, as if something had given way within him, he spoke long and bitterly. It was the only time I ever heard him discuss the conditions and hardships of his trade. They get it all, he said. They get it by advertisement, not by work. They take it away from us, who love our boots. It comes to this. Presently I have no work. Every year it gets less. You will see. And looking at his lined face, I saw things I had never noticed before. Bitter things and bitter struggle. And what a lot of grey hairs there seemed suddenly in his red beard. As best I could, I explained the circumstances of the purchase of those ill-omened boots. But his face and voice made so deep an impression...